Hi everyone, this is NBC10 Boston's Countdown to Decision 2022. We're not counting down anymore. <laughs> the decisions have been made and that's what we're here to talk about today. I'm your host, Mary Marcos. I'm here with our political reporter, Allison King, and political commentator, Sue O'Connell. Thanks for being with us all election season. It's been great to have you guys on. It's been fun. It's not over yet. (laughs) That's true. That's true. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the local and national sort of highlights and where we are now and what are the next steps. So as we talked about last in the last episode, we talked about the the governor's race and who won that. And that still stands. And the questions now are officially, you know, sort of decided at this point. Question one passed, question two passed, question three passed, question four passed, they're all passed, all of them with varying degrees of how much they passed. Anything in the questions surprise you guys? Anything there that we were uh, wrong about or that you weren't necessarily anticipating as far as how those questions went? I, the, I just thought maybe that the millionaire's tax wouldn't be quite as close. I think basically I was looking at the polling and the polling originally had showed that it was going to win pretty big and it came down pretty close. So yeah. I thought I, I also I wondered, gee, if they had another three weeks, you know, um, they were I think they were doing a, a good job of um, sort of convincing voters that it wasn't necessarily whether you were a millionaire or not. It was the message it sent to people potentially coming to do business in the state of Massachusetts. And I thought that was possibly starting to resonate. That was the only reason I could see the shift in that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it was pretty much a lot of a lot of what we expected here. Yeah, I would agree with Allison. I think, too, some of the messaging on one for, for the folks who didn't want it, um, they kind of stumbled a little bit. Uh, I think some of the pe- the real people that I talked to, uh, they were concerned about the issue of if I sell my house, if I sell my business, but they were also concerned about whether or not they could truly trust the state lawmakers to do what they said they were going to do with the money. And a few really savvy ones pointed out, we had this surplus that no one expected. Do we really need more taxing? So, uh, and the taxing part wasn't, uh, gee, I don't want to give money to schools in the MBTA. It was, uh, if we have a surplus and we're taxing people, to Allison's point, will that tell people not to move here or do business here because we're just going to keep taking and taking and taking? Even though I think everyone agrees the MBTA and transportation and education need the money. So um, again, you know, so that's a messaging issue uh, about how um, maybe they could have done better. But here we are; the election's over. Right, it's too <laughs> it's late easy now. to sit here now and criticize it after it's passed, but you know. Hindsight 2020. Yeah. And, and that that question passed with just a 4% difference. So that was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, other than that, Democrats won down the board on the statewide elections. Anything surprise you guys in any of those races? No. <laughs> in Massachusetts, Democrats, Democrats won down the board. Any surprise? No. No. I mean, the, the surprise is that Healy basically ran as the replacement to Charlie Baker, um, and um, did so when there was an actual Republican on the ballot, two Republicans in the primary that could have run as a replacement to Charlie Baker. You know, we we you know could have had a drinking game around the debates about how often uh, Healy spoke positively of Baker and deals either didn't mention him or spoke negatively of him. So yeah. I mean, but that it was a surprise only in that that. That's how she ran and that's how she won in the state. Uh, not that that's what the result was. 
Right. And if you wondered if Republicans on the far right had any remorse or Monday morning quarterbacking or, gee, maybe we ran the wrong guy. No. <laughs> I a bunch of people recently. And the word is, if we have to lose races to rhinos, we're OK with that. We don't really need we're not so concerned about congressional races and the governor's race. We want to make sure our kind of Republicans get into the school boards get in on the lower levels, the, you know, select people. And they're sort of doubling down on that. And I thought I found that interesting. Yeah, that definitely is interesting, despite their lack of funding, which I know Jeff mentioned was brought up at Jeff Deal's um, sort of event on election night. Uh, okay, so we'll move on to national races then, if you guys are good with that. Um, the We're still, so basically the... House and Senate remain, the control of House and Senate still remains unclear, but, you know, NBC News is, is projecting the winners of Arizona and Nevada Senate races. So that would make a difference in that. Um, and then the Georgia Senate race is headed to a December 6th runoff after neither Democratic nor the Republican, the Democratic incumbent, the Demo uh, Republican challenger uh, walked away with the 50% required to win. So anything nationally going on that you guys are paying close attention to uh, right now? Well, I mean, I think I think it's um, we're going to start a, a really digging in to see who voted and and why they voted and who didn't vote, which is also as equally important. And um, I think and I, I don't know, Allison, if you agree with this, I think when we look at the national picture, the Democrats will have won. Uh, and, and even though they lost in the House and it looks like they're not going to, this is a big win for them. I mean, sitting presidents often lose 40 seats in the House, 50 seats in the House. Uh, going all the way back, uh, my most recent research to Ronald Reagan, right? So uh, anything that's less than like 15, 20 seat loss is a huge win for the Democrats. And I think that there is a number of things that happen here that led to this. One, um, the youth vote, which everyone, and we talked about it on the podcast, you don't want to hang your head, hat on the, the youth vote and the young people turning out to vote. But so many of them pre-registered and registered for the first time that even though we may see statistically that just a few more voted um, percentage-wise than expected, it's a percentage of a bigger number, right? You also had Kamala Harris, who some folks were like, hey, where's Kamala Harris? She was actually at the colleges. She was out trying to get that youth vote to show up, and it did. The second is obviously abortion is important. Everyone knows someone who had an abortion, even if they don't know that they had an abort, this person had an abortion. And a lot of older Democrats and people who care about that issue didn't go march in the streets. They didn't go do things. They just showed up to vote. Uh, and that's that that went across the boards. Third is, listen, we can't um, diminish how important uh, the negative impact of COVID was on the voter base, right? A million people have died over the past two years, and statistics are showing a lot of them were in Republican states. Okay, so if a lot of Republicans died, they can't vote. And um, I'm not sure how that statistically is going to pull out and show us. But again, um, that's another decrease in the voting population and number of Republicans who didn't get vaccinated, who caught COVID and who are sadly have a chronic illness also may have been afraid to vote by mail because they were told that they couldn't trust to vote by mail. So that's another decrease in the voting population who would have gone out and voted for some of these Republicans. And to Charlie Baker's point, he just recently did a national interview, which he rarely ever does. 
voters don't want extremists uh, on either end, I think, the, the, the mainstream of America. And we saw that in New Hampshire, right? You have two Democrats who are not extremists, Pappas and Hassan. They're kind of moderate, mainstream, middle of the road Democrats. And they were up against two extremist Republicans um, and um, didn't do as well as people thought because all those people who were just saying, listen, stop calling my house, <laughs> stop asking me to answer polls. I'm just going to show up and vote for the candidate who isn't going to make me crazy or embarrassed. And I think that New Hampshire became kind of a, a, a bellwether of what happened to other states across the nation. And, uh, I, you know, I agree with everything that Sue said. Um, I would, you know, I would just add too. Uh, based, you know, coming off of what you just said there, the other issue was the election denialism yeah. candidates. And I did not think that all of them would lose. I thought some of them would squeak through. Um, I know I spoke to a lot of people who were really anxious about just that aspect of things, whether it was governors or secretaries of state who would start coming in and just saying, nope, the Democrats didn't win. We, you know, the Republicans won, even if the vote count showed Democrats won. And I think that, you know, the Carrie Lake race really surprised me. I thought, yeah, I thought she was going to win. I actually thought she was going to win. Toward the end there, it really looked like she was, she could have caught up. And, and that's, that's an interesting, you know, there's, it's big wins for Democrats, but a lot of those seats were extremely close. And, but for a couple thousand votes, we'd be looking at a different outcome. So it's not like it was a blue wave. It was just, um, you know, I think it's certainly a victory for Democrats on a lot of levels. But, you know, if, if Democrats think they're out of the woods now, you know, yeah. I, I would say there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. And to, and to your point, you know, Mary and Allison, about um, there's a lot of people who won down ballot in states that actually are election deniers or, uh, election denier leaners. And they're, those are the races, the school committees, the mayors of towns that weren't Democrat or Republican. You know, those races are things that people have to pay attention to, too. Yeah, because they're the farm team. Right. So what were we wrong about? What were we right about with our projections nationally? Well, I'm calling myself directionally right, which is what my accountant does whenever I say, I don't know if this can all add up. They're like, oh, it's directionally right. You're, the IRS will say it's directionally right. Don't audit me. I don't have enough money for that. Um, but I said that the uh, Senate was going to um, pick up a seat in the, in the Senate, hold, hold the Senate and pick up the seat. That may happen still. We'll see. I could be extra right on that. I did say that I thought the Democrats were going to hold the House. Um, it looks like I'm going to be wrong on that, but I think I'm directionally right on you that. You were way so. closer than I thought you were. Right. So there you go on that. Um, I thought that Carrie Lake was going to win in Arizona. Uh, I'm, I'm wrong on that. Um, did I make any other predictions? This is the prediction accounting. I think those were my big predictions. Well, I'll have to go back and listen to our old episodes and make sure. <laughs> And get back to you. But um, the other thing, so moving forward now, what should people, people be paying attention to? Um, well, the presidential campaign officially starts today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a big, a big announcement this afternoon, which I think, um, you know, it, it seems like all signs point to Donald Trump announcing for 2024. And, you know, on one level, it just seems like the timing could not be worse for the guy. And he's being advised by so many people not to do it. But, you know, whether it's ego or I don't know what what's 
driving it. You know, it could be that he's looking to avoid some criminal um, charges. It could be that he's just, you know, but people are saying that he's just trying to pin people down and, you know, get them <clears throat> on the record early to say that, you know, it just, it's a little bit mystifying to me. So for, for anyone who's not, oh, not aware, what, what, what's, what's bad about the timing right now? Well, he just had a major losses. You know, Donald Trump's ca candidates um, almost across the board lost. Um, you know, there's a reason why former presidents of all stripes usually don't intervene in primaries or in other elections until the very end when they trot him out like they take out Obama and they would take out Bill Clinton and George Bush and send him out to try and close the deal is um, because if people didn't like the former president, then there's always people who didn't like the former president. You don't want them spoiling um, the race. You know, one of the reasons I think Al Gore didn't get to be president is because they kept Bill Clinton off the road because Bill Clinton was pretty tainted by that point toward the end of his presidency. So, um, you know, you've had uh, a president involved in <laughs> any number of races more than I mean, even if he was just involved in two, it would have been more than the previous presidents. But he was involved in in con congressional races and in governor's races and they lost. They all lost for the most part. I think there's a couple who may have won. So coming and, and your party lost and your party is blaming him. The Republicans are blaming him for losing. So you've got all this losing going on. And yet President Trump, former President Trump, looks like he's going to announce that he's going to run for president on this losing um, uh, uh, platform. Now, to Allison's earlier point about the state GOP, the mass GOP, maybe he doesn't care that he lost. Maybe he just wants to go ahead and say that this is the way that we should be and this is what I'm standing mm -hmm. on. Or, as Maggie Haberman uh, made the point on the New York Times um, Daily this morning, if you'd say you didn't lose and tell everybody else you didn't lose, well, then maybe you didn't lose, right? <laughs> So just kind of like I'm directionally correct, Which maybe is he's is directionally correct. According to Trump's strategy, yes. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's interesting to see just who I saw parading across my TV screen last night, including clips of a Mike Pence interview, yep. which, um, you know, I think Mike Pence is going to be fairly popular among Republicans in this go around. And, um, you know, to see him take those direct questions about Trump, how he was treated on January 6th, et cetera, et cetera, was a bit painful, actually. Mm -hmm. He looked tortured, if I may say, like he couldn't even get the words out sometimes. And, you know, he knew those questions were coming and he still had to sort of compose himself. At one point, I wonder if he, I wondered if he was choking up. So, <laughs> well, at one point too, I thought he kind of dozed off in the question because it took so long and you know, our former colleague David came back around again and kind of said, Are you, you know, you're still with us, basically, you know. Exactly. exactly. But so I thought, OK, so that was interesting. Then you see, could see Michelle Obama um, on many doing the whole swirl of, you know, of interview circuit um, on her new book. And and, you know, she wasn't talking politics necessarily, but she was sort of a reminder of you know, just, and she talked a little bit about, you know, just a reminder of the Obama era and what some Democrats are, you know, sort of hoping to return to. So of course, Michelle Obama, someone who probably would get a lot of votes if she jumped into a presidential race. Right. But, um, and then of course, the DeSantis element, I'm real, I'm dying to see what, you know, when Trump goes rogue tonight, um, giving his speech, and, and who knows what he'll say about DeSantis or whomever, uh, 
how they respond. I mean, you can only not respond for so long. And, you know, they can be gracious and magnanimous and sort of just let it slide for a while. But at some point, I think DeSantis is going to have to fight back. And I'm curious to see in what what form that takes. You know, Mary, the the math of this, uh, I love that I always go to math because all of my math teachers from high school would be astonished that I lean on math so hard. But the math of this is if we think about like the American electorate as 100 percent, right, and 30 percent of them are Democrats, 30 percent of them are Republicans. And I'm just, you know, ballparking here. And then the the sort of other 30 percent, the rest of them don't care. But 30 percent, they'll vote for a candidate. They're not like they might be a Democrat. They might be a Republican, but they actually will vote for candidates based on their. So they're up for grabs. Right. But of the 30 percent of the Republicans, 15 percent of them are definitely going to vote for Donald Trump, right? And again, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, generalizing here to make a point. But on the Democratic side, you don't have 15% or 10% or 5% that are definitely going to vote for a candidate. Right. So when the Republicans are trying to make up their mind about who's going to run and what DeSantis is going to do, they have to deal with this, this Trump 15%, this diehard 15%. You might not want them to vote for you because if they vote for you, then you can't move to the middle, right, and get the available voters in the general election. But if you don't have them, you also might not be able to get through a primary. And that's what happened, as we saw in these congressional and Senate races, that these extremist candidates beat out more moderate candidates who probably would have done better in the general election. So that's the math that Republicans are doing right now. Right now, you know, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post and Rupert Murdoch and Mitch McConnell, people are all against Trump. Bad Trump, bad, bad, bad Trump. But if they sit down and do the math in six months, they may be like, yay, Trump's our guy again. So um, nothing is set in stone, and it really all depends on how much traction Trump actually gets and if those voters are still committed to him. Which, ironically, in some crazy way, Democrats should be sort of rooting for the right. very extreme Republicans to be successful because it's working for them. Right. And to that point, you know, we talked about, too, the Democratic national parties actually put money into running ads against the moderate Republicans in some of these races, especially in New Hampshire, so that the extremists would move forward uh, and actually help them get elected. It was a very risky strategy, but you know, some, some um, uh, politicos like to point out that the Dem- if the Democrats acted more like Republicans more often, they would win more often. So with the, the equation you just laid out for us, are there parallels there with what's happening in Massachusetts? No. No, because because we talk about the part of the Republican Party, right, that are very pro-Trump and then the right. part that is more moderate uh, and, and them not sort of being able well, to. There are similarities in that Jeff, they put Jeff Deal out there who could right. win a primary. Right. Absolutely. But not in the general. To, to Sue's point. Yes. In that respect, it is the same model. They're, you know, the Trumpers are putting the, the heavy duty Trumpers out there. They sail through that primary and then they get stuck in the general. In Massachusetts, you have all these unenrolled voters as well, which doesn't mean they're not Democrats or Republicans, but they're really open for grabs because that they're saying by their registration, I'm not going to vote lockstep with a party, you know, and you end up with an extreme, you know, I I wouldn't say Jeff is an extremist candidate, but a Trump candidate. But you didn't get Karen Polito, the lieutenant governor, who is conservative, who's very conservative. Probably would have loved it. And, you know, has been doing a lot of hard work for eight years. You didn't get her. You didn't get Chris Doty, 
Uh, you didn't get someone like Beth Lindstrom who ran for Senate. She didn't throw her hat in the rings there. I can name 10 uh, uh, people, Republicans who are conservative, who could have been successors to Charlie Baker and offered uh, the uh, the unenrolled voter and the more conservative and moderate Democrats a choice, but they can't get past the 50% on the ballot. Primary, they can't get past the primary. Yeah. Is that why you think Karen Polito didn't run? Oh, I, I definitely. I think Karen Polito, if she thought she could have gotten through the Republican primary, would absolutely have been in it. I think she's really sad about it. It's my my guess. I, you know, yeah. I don't, but I will also say, can you imagine if a candidate like an Anthony Amore or a Beth Lindstrom or someone like that had been put out there and the, the party had rallied around that person and then you'd had Charlie Baker every weekend out on the campaign trail pushing that person that, uh, you know, that I don't know if Mara Healy would have won under those right. circumstances, po possibly, but it would have been a much closer race. Mm -hmm. That's a super interesting question. Well, yeah, I mean, and also, would Mara Healy have run as the, the moderate Charlie Baker replacement, or would she, she have run as a, a more of a progressive? Right. We still don't really know how Mara Healy is going to be as a governor, right? She, Correct. she was able to avoid the progressive, um, you know, conversations with Sonia Chang-Diaz, who was her, her uh, opponent in the primary. Sonia dropped out. There were no, there were town meetings, but there were no debates. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we don't know what kind of candidate we would have gotten from Moore Healy if she had had uh, a moderate Republican who probably could have given her a run for her money in the general. But she, she kind of, but she did pose herself as the moderate in this race, right? So you're saying that might have she might have tailored that differently if things were different. So, yeah. Well, if you look back, if you look back in time, right? You know, I've, I had this discussion with for, with Shannon O'Brien, who's a Democrat, uh, former state treasurer, and former um, candidate for governor at one point. You know, there was this idea. Well, you know, Moore Healy's a woman. She's a Democrat. She's a lesbian. She must be progressive. And I'm like, she's also an attorney general, right? And attorneys generals tend to be um, not as progressive as other Democrats at their level of, mm -hmm. of lawmaking, right? Mm -hmm. So um, she did sue, obviously, the Trump administration, but you can make the argument that they should have been sued <laughs> and anybody who was smart enough would have sued them. But remember, she endorsed Ayanna Presley for Congress over Mike Capuano, who, mm -hmm. you know, Mike Capuano, also a progressive Democrat, just not as progressive as, as Ayanna Presley. And that um, was a big endorsement that kind of turned the tide of that race a little bit, for sure. Well, yeah. So from a political standpoint, you know, put your, your I'm a candidate hat on. What was Maura Healy thinking? Right. You know, we didn't know that Ayanna was going to win. I mean, I did. I actually made that production too, Mary. So put that on your little list. But, um, you know, Capuano had every, he, it was likely he was going to win. So what's the risk? Why did Maura Healy endorse Ayanna Presley? Well, to keep the door open if she was going to run. And I'm not saying she's not progressive or not moderate or that she's not these things. Just because of her role as attorney general, she has the opportunity to, you know, build the narrative of, of what she wanted her campaign to be. So she had that door open. Uh, and um, didn't need to take it because she was running to replace Charlie Baker as Charlie Baker's, you know, the 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 the, um, the reboot of Charlie Baker. Yeah, and Maura Healy's been very progressive on LGBTQ mm -hmm. issues, on abortion. She's got all the right talking yeah. points on all That's that. True. But when it comes to free this, free that, free the other thing, college transportation, she's not out there pushing that every, you know, so. It, you know, it'd be interesting if she would have had, to Sue's point, would have had to go down that road if a Charlie Baker 
type Republican had run because she couldn't have cloaked herself in the Charlie Baker mantle in that regard. But, you know, who knows? Right. Well, we're out of time for today, but, you know, maybe we'll re we'll revive, we'll revisit this podcast at a later date, depending on how the presidential elections go. Uh, but it's been great meeting with you guys every twice a week for the last several weeks as the elections you know, unfolded. And I really, we really appreciate your time and your thoughts on all this. We had fun. Yeah. Mary, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Thanks for putting it together, Mary. Great job.